Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to Dr. David Hill, one of the co-authors of Co-Parenting Through Divorce and Separation. But before we talk to him, we're going to talk about, actually it's connected to his book. The subtitle to his book is Putting Your Kids First. So I don't think he actually means it the way Steph and I are going to talk about it, but we're going to talk about COVID and putting our kids first and whether we did a good job Mm. of that. And I'm going to start by saying no. (laughs) I'm shaking my head. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I had four of my five kids home. It was a massive adjustment and it took me too long and some would argue never arrived there to recognize that it wasn't about me. And I think someone told me that when I was telling them about what was going on in my house, they were like, well, it's not really about you. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. Right. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. So I did, I walked every single day since COVID started. I mean, the weather here has been amazing. And even when it wasn't, I just needed to have that headspace. And I really tried hard to be the mother I was when my kids were younger, but I failed because I was so stressed. (laughs) You said you put them in the car and you took them all to the zoo? Oh my God, how did you know that was my favorite thing? I know. That was like my favorite thing. I know, because you know what? When I met you, you were all, uh, yeah, you had probably, you were, well, your older kids were done with that and you just still wanted to do it. My older kids were sports. Like they, more than my younger kids, Mm. my older kids, like they have, they still like to go apple picking. Like we would always go before the Jewish holidays to pick apples and they still, if they're home, they want to do it. So they have more nostalgia about those things. Yeah. And my younger kids just thought it was annoying. So here's, okay. So our (laughs) thing is that, so we we have several friends whose kids only want to be with them. Grown. I mean, not as grown as yours, but like in college would be the oldest one. So they're not... 12, right? I mean, they're- It doesn't matter how old my kids were. That was never right. true. Okay. So only want to be with them. They're like, well, what are we doing Saturday night? Well, wait, what do you mean you're going for a hike with the Silvermans? Or what do you mean you're doing this? Like, what about us? You know, and I have other friends, same thing. Like, where is mine? They don't want to do anything with us unless it's food related. Any meal, talk of food, thought about food. I could, I could crack an egg very quietly, and they would appear. (laughs) So there is around, like, it's so funny. I'm always like... The only thing I would say in my house is there's no cracking an egg quietly because there's no doing anything (laughs) quietly. (laughs) No, but my point... Everybody senses. Right, 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 right. No, it's totally true. Right, so I'm like... Okay, what's wrong? It's like my dog. Like if we're if you're cooking meat in the oh, house, yeah, totally, the dog is anywhere. Totally. Like yeah, but beelines. Uh, we're yeah. always like, are we that bad? Like why do they? They don't want to be anywhere near. It? Like it's just uh, like Todd will call me at like three o'clock. I'm like, what are the kids up to? I'm like, I haven't seen them today. Yeah, I'm like I don't even know. I'm, well, I'm comforted that it's at least the two of yeah. us. I mean, those other those other weird people <laughs> whose kids only want to be with them. What's wrong with them? Yay, yay you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. No, it's, it's not like a dagger in my heart. Say it again. I double dog dare you and you know who you are listening to this. I double dog dare you. And then I'm going to tell Sue too. And then we're going to come get all of you. You don't have to tell me. I know. <laughs> I, know. I know who you're talking mm. about. But anyway, so the idea of this really weird time, which we're trying to stay away from some of the words that have become so stale during COVID. But, you know, it is really a weird time right now. And it's it's particularly hard 
to listen to experts talk about putting your own needs first, like put the oxygen mask on yourself first and make sure you're okay. But then also have this kind of charge of putting your kids' needs above your own. They don't, they're not so consistent. Yeah. Anyway, I took, I think I took the oxygen mask one to heart way better. (laughs) It's so hard. Can we just say that? Like it is just so hard. And I know. And it's not getting easier. I keep thinking about like parents who are going to like, I I have this vivid memory of being done with college and at my first job. And it was probably October when I melted down because I realized that what I had been doing since graduation, I was going to continue doing. Like my job, I was just going to keep going to my job. There was no, there were no semester breaks. There were no obvious days off. And I remember feeling like just so overwhelmed by the the new routine. And so I keep thinking about parents whose kids are not going to go back to school in the fall. And maybe like August is fine and maybe September you can weather through, but What happens when it's October and they are still in your house? Well, I'm going to use the word weather through, especially where we live and weather is getting worse. And they're, you know, I know for me, like you just said, like it it is salvation to get outside. Yeah, It is. It's not even, I don't even think it's a choice for me, to be honest. Like I need it. Like I need oxygen. Like I need to be out. (laughs) Stephanie and I live in Cleveland, the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio. How far, what's the shortest distance to get to warm weather? (laughs) Because we might have to do Don't make that joke. So I actually just left, well, a couple things. I left Todd, you know, I I always leave things for him to read on his side of the bed. So I left him one about like renting an RV. And one of the thoughts I had was like, I'm like, okay, well, depending who's home, like, why couldn't we go somewhere warm? And if they're all online, it doesn't matter. You just need a good Wi-Fi connection. And as long as we can take the dog, we can be wherever. So I keep I keep thinking about that. But okay, here's the other thing I want to go back to when we were talking about just like the kids and having them home. For me, and again, they probably won't, probably none of them will listen to this so I can say whatever the, the heck I want, is that I love having them here. And maybe it's because they don't want it. Like, Maybe we're lasting longer. I have in my head, like, they're just all kind oh, of- Oh, you, you know what? Keep telling yourself that. No, 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 no. Because they're, <laughs> no, no. Because we're not doing all the- I don't have kids that want to do everything with me. So maybe it provides for more. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're saying, and you should keep telling yourself that. Because I'm sure your friends whose kids only want to be with them are are hating them right now. No, they're not. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about how I feel about it in my house is because I do have like some space from them. So it's not because they're all kind of doing their own thing. So we're not, we're physically in each other's space, but I feel like we're all living in a little bit of silos, except when it comes around food. Like I said, then it's like a, like, it's like, but then everybody goes back to what they were doing. So my, my in-laws came up with a routine. They live down the street from us and they- you know, are really quarantining. And they came up with a schedule of like where they are in the house at what hours. Wait, and, for and whom? Like, for the two of them. So they <laughs> like, they take break. They take, they literally have a schedule where they each separate for two hours and then reconvene over lunch. And just like, so that you don't have this like overwhelming sense of no place to be alone. Wait a minute. And it's Is it possible really your well. in-laws added my children to their Google document yeah. of, yeah, of where yeah, they I are? Because so. that's that's what so. it feels like. I had no idea yeah. they knew each other. It's, okay. I know. So they, they they are all making it easier Oh, that's for so great. I appreciate it. Tell, 
Don't tell your in-laws I said thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, so up next is our conversation with Dr. David Hill. We can't wait for you to join us. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greeny. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Today, we are going to ask you questions related to your book, Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, but we're going to try and take a more global picture of what that could look like, which is that separation and divorce is a is a very high point of stress in lives and relationships, etc. But so at this moment is this global pandemic. So if we kind of take this idea of putting the kids first, how do we do that during this particular moment when struggling to keep ourselves together is so complicated? Right. I think one of the hardest things of parenting, if not the hardest, really is balancing our own self-care with taking care of our kids, right? You know, when you talk about self-care, we we all imagine that like Pinterest picture of your toes up in the bathtub and, you know, a glass of champagne and a long book. And, wait, wait, that's not it? Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> we moved into a house with no bathtubs, so uh, that takes that out of the picture. No, that's a lovely thought, but self-care is so much more basic than that. And honestly, if you don't have somebody else to watch the children, you probably should not lock the bathroom door and, you know, draw that bath with the bath bomb and the floating flower petals in it. Well, so just to remind you, we talked to parents of teenagers. That's right. That's possible. Yeah. They could. They could do it. But while your kids are 
gallivanting about in the middle of the night, you're taking the bath. It's all good. But self-care is so much more basic than that and so very critical. And it starts just with getting some sleep. None of us functions without that. And that can be hard based on your job or your kids' hours, et cetera. But if there's a way to grasp that, just have a deal. You know, I want to hear from you by midnight. You're going to keep your location on your phone. I'm going to see if you're where you're supposed to be. And if not, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have an issue. Then you can sort of work around that question of it's 1 a.m. Do you know where your teen is? The second thing is to try and get some exercise. And one of the really fun things about having teenagers is that's a thing that we can do together. That's really fun. I've got one son who likes to run and bike, and he's much faster than I am at both, but I can go out there with him and kind of watch him, you know, run away or bike away from me. I've got a son who really enjoys swimming, and I was once a swimmer, so we get to go to the pool together, and I coach him on his stroke, and he's now faster than I am too, which is, to be fair, not a really high bar for anybody. (laughs) We've got a daughter who kind of doesn't do a whole lot actively, but she does like her dog, and so she and her mom, you know, go out and walk dogs together. We keep a bike over here for her to ride. And anything that you can do to get out and get active, it's a great chance to grab your teen and have a conversation and spend some time together and enjoy something together. It doesn't have to be, you know, 30 minutes of CrossFit. Although if they like that, you know, go ahead, swing some kettlebells together. We've done that. But, uh, you know, so let any- them let them drive. Let yeah. them be the driver of it. And then you as the parent, is you're going to get benefit from it and you'll go along with them. So, exactly. So your book, Co-Parenting Through Separation and Divorce, Putting the Kids First, when you, when you talk about putting the kids first in that scenario, it seems to me like they're not in conflict. They're different goals. Oh, they're, do- very, they're very different goals. When we talk about putting your children first, What we're really talking about is how you manage co-parenting with somebody that you could not manage living with, right? So and th- this is the big question of this book. I, I, this person is absolutely insane. They're horrible. I hate them. And now we're supposed to deal with, you know, the baseball schedule and the school schedule and who's buying shorts this summer. And, you know, that's the real difficult thing is that separation and divorce bring up enormously powerful emotions, few of them positive. They are usually born of situations where there is a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, a lot of resentment, a sense of betrayal. It is very rare that two people just look up one day and say, you know, maybe this isn't working out great. Let's, let's you know, hammer out a separation or divorce. Usually something really bad happens and people are hurt and they pass blame back and forth. Well, you made me do that because you did this and I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done that. It's the way you always treat me. Yeah, but you didn't have to. Right. I mean, we, we know this story. And the difficult thing for parents to do is to put all that aside and say, okay, we have to table those issues right now because we have children who need us. They need us emotionally. They need us physically. They need us financially. They need us to work together and get their needs met. And I think the great thing is if you can keep the needs of your kids in your heads, it's much easier to come to an agreement 
You do not have to solve all the rest of life. You do not have to figure out whose fault it was that what happened happened. You do not have to hammer out who is the worst person in this situation. None of that is important for your kids. What you have to figure out is, you know, how they're getting to ball practice if there's ever ball practice again. So how realistic is that, David, given what you just said, right? You're sitting there with all these feelings about this other person. And do you think it's possible? Like, do have you seen many parents do this successfully? Yeah. So let's talk about where my co-author and I come from. Dr. Jan Blackstone was my co-author on this book, and I absolutely could not have done this without her because she has a ton of expertise. I don't. Dr. Blackstone worked for about 20 years in the California family court system as a mediator. And she is also a divorced and remarried and re-divorced mother who has raised, people say stepchildren, we like bonus children. That is, if you ever hear the term bonus children, by the way, Jan came up with that. I can't take credit for that. But I actually heard my own cousin use that recently because she is also a divorced parent with teenagers. And I was like, oh, 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 my co-author came up with that word. You're using our word, co-parent and bonus family and bonus children. But she and I have both had experience putting this to work in our own lives, first of all. First and foremost, I would not ask any parent to do a thing that I have not done myself. And the same is true for Jan. I, as a pediatrician, have had a lot of occasions to try and get parents working together. So has Jan as a mediator. That is her, that was, while she was working, her full-time job to sit down people who could not stand each other in a room and say, okay, great, but what about your kids? To this day, in our family, I have three children with my co-parent, my first wife. I have two bonus children with my second wife. And so that's five kids ranging in age from 15 to 21. And my bonus kid's dad is not very involved in their lives, so I don't have a lot of occasions where we have to hammer things out, but he is helping with college tuition and there are birthdays and there are family events. So he and my wife have to work very closely together on some of those things. My ex-wife, our co-parent, lives about four miles away and the two boys who still live in the home go back and forth on a week-on, week-off basis. And we have at least one driveway meeting every week. It used to be inside, but now we stand outside, where we just kind of catch up, make sure that we have run the week to come and the week behind and done a warm handoff of any active issues that are going on. Who needs, who needs a car when? When are people working? Whose laundry needs to be done? So, David, how much time did it take to get to the point where you could stand in the same place and have, like, was it immediate in your situation or did it take time? You know, for us, it was relatively quick. We are both medical professionals and we went about our separation and divorce in a fairly clinical way. I think for us, the more difficult process was actually the disentanglement, the arrangement of appropriate boundaries around the families. For example, are we going to celebrate birthdays together and Christmas and Easter? Are we all going to get together? The first couple of years, we we did that. And it was okay, but it was also a little weird and a little confusing for the kids. 
And over time, we sort of learned, you know what, we're going we're gonna to divide the day. I'll come over, I'll wave at everybody, you know, we'll hand out a couple of presents, and then I'm going to let that be your time in your place, and we'll have our time in our place. So for us, it was actually kind of the, the opposite problem. And this is a case for some parents that actually the question is, you know, maybe something came up, we can't live together anymore, but we are missing certain aspects of being together. And very close parental relationships can also be very confusing for children. I can imagine that, yeah. For right this moment in time, there are two things that can be happening right now. Like the, I mean, living with our families, the joke is how much our spouses choose so loudly and like, you know, all these right. annoying things that we didn't notice before. So some marriages are breaking up right at this moment because of the intensity of COVID. So now you've got really this crazy double whammy going on for kids. And it's probably not the most peaceful breakup in the middle of all this because even just healthy relationships might not be so peaceful right now. Can you give advice on things that parents could do right now who are struggling in their marriage, even if it doesn't end in divorce, but it's just really tense right now? How do they, we go about placing the needs of our children above the needs of our relationship? And maybe clarifying, I don't probably don't mean it that way. I mean it more like putting the kids first in the way you described. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. The first thing I would say is if there's any way to get an outside perspective on problem solving, do that. We all get trapped in our own heads. We have something that cognitive scientists call availability bias, which is if I can't think of it, I can't think of it, right? And even very smart, very creative people have availability bias. You can only think of what you've thought of. And so it's really nice to get an unemotional, uninvolved third party, some sort of counselor, somebody with experience as a professional to come in and A, calm down the room and say, hey, it looks like you're getting really emotional right now. Let's, let's get back on topic. And B, to suggest maybe some solutions that neither of you thought of just because you're too deep in the situation. You're in the box. You can't see it. And when we're embattled, when we're emotional, we don't think creatively. We hunker down. Our creative juices stop and we just react, right? And you don't have to go to a place. There are more and more online counseling services, available therapeutic services. If you're part of a faith community, there may be somebody there or some trained personnel within your faith community to help with that. There may be people at nonprofits. Wilmington had a, a parenting exchange for a while that did a lot of this. My wife is a psychiatric provider with a group in Wilmington where we live that provides some of these services. So I would call a timeout and try and get help to begin with in terms of framing what's going on. Second of all, I would try and work collaboratively on enumerating, well, what are the kids' needs right now? What do they need from us? If we are thinking about breaking up, then we need to also be thinking about how that process is going to affect our kids. So let's say, what do they want? What do they need? You know, what, what do they need for their education? What do they need to be with their friends? What do they need to be healthy? How are we going to solve that issue? And that brings the conversation usually away from what's wrong to what can be right? What can we do together to make things better for these kids whom presumably we both still love? How about, so you talked about emotions running high. So now you've got two households and 
maybe different rules in each home. So, you know, we hear that repeatedly. That is always a concern. So, you know, you've got the fun parent and then you've got the the one who's making all the rules. Frankly, you have those in families that aren't divorced and you have yeah, to right, navigate right. that. So it's obviously very challenging during COVID because though, you know, can you, can these kids see other kids? So, you know, what if the rules or just implementing the rules aren't the same? So the rules are never going to be exactly the same because the households are not going to be exactly the same, right? I'll give you a, a fairly, you know, benign example. At my co-parent's wife, uh, since before we were married or divorced, she tends to be an owl and I tend to be a lark. I feel really good about going to bed at 9.30, getting up at 5.30, getting a run in, having my coffee, answering emails, and then everybody else wakes up. And she feels really good about going to bed at, you know, 1230 or 1 a.m. and then sleeping in a little bit because her stuff is done. And so the bedtimes in our houses kind of have to be different. So, you know, in my house, I want everybody at least quiet by 10 because I'm going to be out. And that's different over there. And so that rule is not going to be exactly the same, obviously. On the other hand, in both of our houses, being disrespectful in conversation with a parent is not okay. Lying is not okay. So those big things are still the same. And you really kind of want to focus on some basic concepts about what's okay and what's not okay and keep that as much together as you can. My co-author will point out, as she does in the book, that the moment when your child stomps off and says, I want to go live with the other parent forever, I never want to come back here, that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong, but that does mean that it's time for a conversation about what's different and trying to get back on a similar page. And there may be a better answer and a worse answer when you have that conversation. One parent may be having ice cream for dinner every night. And naturally, you know, a kid's going to be like, hey, I like ice cream. I want to go where I have ice cream for dinner every night and play video games until three in the morning and nobody asks where I am. And, you know, you know, I don't have to do my homework or whatever. That's probably not a healthy household. So you need to have a conversation there. On the back end, there may be one household where punishment is really kind of inappropriate. Maybe one parent is spanking and the other isn't. That's also a good time to have a conversation around those topics. And those conversations are not always going to go smoothly. Sometimes it's an important moment to bring in somebody else, bring in a pediatrician, bring in a therapist, a counselor, somebody to sort of give a third opinion on what's the best way to do things. There may be a solution people haven't thought of. The warning for the parent, and I think this is a very normal thing in a divorce situation, and this is why we talk about putting the children first specifically, is you get competitive, you want to be the favorite parent. You know, well, I'll show you. Even you're not a, in divorce situations. <laughs> you're right, right? You know, like, oh, I'm the good parent. You're like me. You know, the other one's the mean parent. My spouse listens to all the podcasts, so right now he's knowing that we're talking about him. There you right. go. Right, same. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, once you get a separation or divorce, that competition, it's very tempting for that to really crank up and be like, no, 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 you like me better because look at all I can do for you. That is absolute poison. It really is. It puts the child or the teen, and teens will absolutely use this, in the uncomfortable situation of playing one parent off against the other. And one of our 
absolute rules is to check with the other parent about any story that you hear from the kid. If the kid's like, oh, mom lets me stay up all night and play video games and have all my friends over in the time of COVID and, you know, we smoke pot up there and, you know, before you blow a gasket and go, oh my gosh, she's always been so irresponsible. That's why I got divorced in the first place. I knew she would do that. Stop and call mom because that may not be what's going on. If it is, you probably need a conversation, but it may not be. Each The kid, you're going to hear what the kid wants you to hear. And so making the children a messenger is a very unhealthy thing. Go back to the source. And if there's a problem, you're going to have to deal with the problem. But it may be that that the story is at best incomplete and at worst, just frankly, not true. Okay, so you touched on it a little bit now, and you and I have talked in the past, and I was so moved by the conversation about why kids need to love both of their parents if there are two parents in the story. Your whole conversation was humbling for me in the way that I didn't realize how unsettling it can be, that our kids may fight for a disruption, but really it's not, it's not good for their development. Yeah, kids really need a few things to develop healthy. One is a sense of love from as many stable, loving adults as they can have. You do not want to do anything to deprive your child of the other parent's love by making them feel like they are being disloyal for loving the other parent. They're going to love the other parent. That's how we're wired. And they already feel a little weird and awkward in these situations. If they come back, say, oh, I had the best time with the other parent. We watched this movie. We made this special dinner. We had a great conversation. And they're kind of looking at you for, I know you guys don't like each other. Is that okay? Is it all right that we had a good time together? And I think you really owe it to your child to be like, that is great, you know? Your mother's always been a fantastic cook. I love it when she makes homemade pizza dough. You know, that's the best. I'm so glad you guys got to do that. That's a movie that we always enjoyed watching. That's that's a great movie. I'm glad you watched it. You really want to reinforce the joy that your child takes in the other parent. You don't lose anything. This is not a zero-sum game. The child gains, and therefore you gain, by making a lot of space for your child to have a positive experience with this other person. You may not have a positive experience with that other person. That's your problem. That's not your child's problem. That's well said. (laughs) That's very very well said. We're going to wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests, which is, what do you think is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? I think it is a myth that they have to shut themselves off from you and that you have to embrace that. I think that there are wonderful ways to encourage conversation and to remain open. It often means going to where they are. Hey, what's that song you're listening to? What's that game that you're playing? What do you and your friends like to do? Can you show me? I heard that there's a new meme on TikTok and it's totally obscure to me. I don't understand it. Can you show me why everybody likes it and why it's funny? It also requires creating a safe space. Last night while I was at work, my wife was uh, with both of my boys and her daughter, and they had safe table at dinner. And safe table was, you guys can say anything. We're going to talk about anything, and we promise you're not going to be in trouble, and I'm not going to freak out. So let's talk about some of the things you've been doing. 
and safe she she learned some things nothing nothing too awful but some stuff i sure didn't know about what they were up to so i think you know when you think oh my teen's going to wander off they're going to hate me they're never going to talk to me again only if you allow that to be the case if you remain open and interested and non-judgmental you can guide your teen in a very positive way So I think we wrapped that up really nicely because you started by talking about finding how we can engage with our kids through exercise or whatever they're interested in. And you wrapped up with the same thought that we're not the drivers of how they engage with us, but we have to make sure to meet them where they are, which, you know, it's a shift in being that we're not the drivers in adolescence and that if our kids are ready to talk at some point, that we should be available and we should make the opportunities for that. So Dr. David Hill, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Susan, Stephanie, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the amazing work you guys are doing for parents and teens. Thanks for joining us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive our newsletter, head on over to yourteenmag.com. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. If you like today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.